was a leak in the boiler room. The poor, the lame, the blind. Who were the ones that we kept in charge? Killers, thieves, and lawyers. God's away, God's away, God's away on business, business. God's away, God's away, God's away on business, business. Welcome to the Armageddon and Retrospect podcast. Today, I am joined by Scott Holman. Scott, thanks for coming on. Yeah, my pleasure. Scott is the director of the ex Witness documentary, Witness Underground. And first and foremost, let's talk about an event coming up related to documentary before we talk about the film itself. Uh, what do you have coming up for the film? Thanks, Bo. Yeah, so the film Witness Underground, I directed it. it is com- it's right now in the Portland Film Festival, and it's a virtual festival, so you can stream it from anywhere in the States at the moment, but it's limited ticket sales. So it's like 10 bucks. So that's happening right now, which is a really cool festival. And they've been easily the best festival in terms of like helping out um, independent filmmakers and get publicity and um, work with us in a, in a really, uh, I don't know I'd say, just there, there's really great for, for us. And then mm-hmm. the next one, that's easily the biggest event of the year. This is our ninth, this, uh, Portland's our eighth festival. And our ninth festival is, is called Sound Unseen. And it's sort of like the South by Southwest was the famous one of the North and center of the Great Lakes area. It's mm-hmm. the Minneapolis Music and Film Festival. And uh, what's really cool about that one is it's an in-person festival, which is rare these days. And November 12th, they're not only throwing, not only screening our film in like a huge, amazing theater, 600 seats um, called the Women's Club. But then after they have a, there's a venue called the Hook and Ladder Theater and Lounge, and they're throwing a concert because all of the witnesses that are in the film are musicians and artists. And they still are, they were in the religion and after leaving the religion, they're still performers. So they want to invite all these artists to come play live. So they are throwing this huge after party, 300 seat venue or person venue. And we're doing every song's gonna have like a curated light show. And we have like performance thing that we're doing for some of the songs and we're actually filming it. So we're gonna try to use that as a backbone for future content and possibly another film. Um, and people are loving this film. It's getting incredible, incredible reviews. And so if you have the opportunity to either watch it at Portland at your, in your comfort of your own home or to come to Minneapolis, we're throwing this crazy party. They're throwing it for us and we're coming all out for it. So hmm. we're spending a lot of money to make it into like another film and, um, put on an amazing performance. And some of these bands, there's three bands they haven't performed in quite a few years. So they've been practicing for months to get this all put together and come out with some new content and mm. uh, new, new songs. It's really a special event. And it's sort of like the concert that we dream to put on some years in the future. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, now do it, do it now <laughs> with the film. Yeah. So it's a lot of work and it's a lot of fun. Um, we'd love to have people come out and, and support it. Yeah. Sounds awesome. I, uh, I wish I was going to be in the Midwest. I, I get out there pretty frequently, but I will not be able to make it, but anybody in the Midwest, definitely check that out. Sounds yeah. uh, like a lot of fun. Uh, so there's some, a live event on the calendar for people put it on there and uh you know before we get dive into the film a little bit more maybe we could just kind of fill in the listeners and viewers a little bit on your your background uh with the witnesses and then uh we'll talk about a little bit of post witness life as well (laughs) so that's great yeah kind of fill us in on uh kind of your your story there okay so my grandparents joined the religion in their retirement and then they one by one got all of my my dad's brothers and sisters to join the religion and including my father uh, when we were young. So I was about six and there's five kids. Uh, I was the second oldest. So from about six years old, I would like put the cassette 
tape on and like push play with that pink book, like learn from the great teacher or something. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. I had the same and, and collection. I was like, yeah. I'm, I was, I was playing games. You want me to sit mm-hmm. here and do this weird thing with this old book? And, and I have to like push pause and like think about the answer, but the answer is, you know, sentence two in the four sentence paragraph. And it's really childish. And it's like, this just isn't fun. It's um, always sentence two. <laughs> the second sentence is always right. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that was like the indoctrinations beginning. That was like really mm. stark. I remember my last Christmas. I remember some early birthday. Um, and like all my mom's side of the family never are not associated in any way to the religion on my dad's side. Eventually, most of them became in the religion. Mm-hmm. So they like my grandparents and then my parents age and my aunts and uncles and then us cousins. Like it wasn't like all at the same time. It was all very staggered. Mm. And, um, and then I had some like distant cousins on my mom's side. I guess they just, there's some on my mom's side that, that like second cousins that lived in the same town that we're in. So I guess I had some family in the religion. Um, and I'm not sure if they're in anymore. I don't, we don't really communicate, but um, sort of, you know, my parents were really bad at it. They were like 30 somethings and had a bunch of kids. They were busy, had full-time mm-hmm. jobs. So like my dad would skip most of the talks. My mom never got baptized. She wouldn't go. She's never been in service. She's never given a talk. So she was sort of like the rebellious one, <laughs> keeping some balance. And um, like there's still like Christmas ornaments like in our basement somewhere that my mom's kept hidden for decades, okay. hoping to one day have Christmas <laughs> again. But still kind of uh, kind of ask like still a believer somewhat or probably yeah, I think the she believes is mostly true, you could say. Yeah, you know, some are like, well, it's the best version of the truth, or the, you know, they have their different ways of rationalizing it. Probably, yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, yeah, she some, some something like that. Mm-hmm. But I'd catch her cussing, and I was like, oh, we can do that <laughs> secretly. Okay, cool. <laughs> there you go. So my mom was like my hero because she like kept some kind of balance in our mm-hmm. family, even though like my brothers and sisters are all still roped into this. My two little sisters just got married into it, so like I have little, little hope that they'll get out for mm-hmm. a while, but. You know, one day maybe they'll think for themselves, but yeah. Um, yeah. So, so that is my, the start of it all. I later on was like auxiliary pioneering and stuff once in a while. Um, I, I never, like there was this brochure that came out that was like, here's the five things that you can do within this religion. Here's are your, <laughs> your five goals you can have yes, yeah. become. And it was like, there's only one for women, which is mm-hmm. go out in service <laughs> and maybe leave the country or something. <laughs> yeah. Or mostly it's get married. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but for men, it's become uh, become a ministerial servant, become an elder, which is basically the same goal, mm-hmm. like just over time. Yep. And then, like, become a, a foreign missionary, like go abroad mm-hmm. as a need grader or a missionary, and then like become a circuit overseer or something, or go to Bethel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's like yeah. that's the whole circuit. And I was like, all of those sound terrible, except <laughs> maybe the fine print of the need grader thing yeah. is like there's an adventure. Yeah, um, you can like go abroad, learn something about the world, experience a different culture, experience mm-hmm. beautiful exotic places. And so I kind of got that in my head that that was cool. And I met a bunch of people that were going to DR Dominican Republic mm-hmm. and they come back with stories to Minneapolis. I moved, I lived, I moved from Wisconsin to Minneapolis for and I went to college, actually, but I um, for a camera for photography, okay. even though you're not supposed to do that. <laughs> I somehow found a balance. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And then I ended up going to Ecuador. And that was sort of like the last big thing I did. I went down mm-hmm. to Ecuador sort of as a need grader, but I was like, to get, to become a need grader, you have to, or a missionary, you have to, um, you have to be recommended by your congregation. To be recommended mm-hmm. by your congregation, you have to do all the normal stuff, which is try to become a ministerial servant or take privileges yeah. or whatever. And then they're like, oh, he's good. Like we should, we should send him away to do this thing for, yeah. for God. 
And then um, I was like, you know how cheap it is to buy a plane ticket and how fast mm-hmm. tracking I can do this? <laughs> so I was like, if I save up money, I could get a $300 ticket and just fly down there with a one-way mm-hmm. ticket and then just be there. So I did that. And then everyone there was like, oh, cool, you're one of us. Yeah. And later they found out I was like, not kind of, you doing all past the, the official... <laughs> Yeah, you know the official channel, as they would say, of yeah. getting the recommendation and all of that written to the exactly. branch and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, I was like too free thinking for this organization <laughs> or something from the beginning. Right, right. But I met all these like what's cool is I was at I went to some circuit assembly and I met a bunch of people that were you know, need graders and and they were like maybe the more interesting people mm-hmm. from North America and Europe and in Canada um, that were coming down there. And they were like, come to this party on the beach. So a bunch of surfers are going to mm-hmm. hang out as all these ex-witnesses or all these, all these witnesses from all over the country are going to come down to the beach for a party. I was like, oh, cool. So I went to this thing and I met all these people and I ended up staying there for like five months yeah. and learning to surf there with all these witnesses. <laughs> I was like, I infiltrated this, the secret surf witness surf community. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. I, I found that when you got in with the neat graders, there was definitely uh, most of them didn't work secularly, right? In the country yeah. they were in. And there was type, there was some type of party vibe I noticed when I was in Dominican Republic with them that yeah. was different from being in the States with witnesses. There was definitely more of a, it was more leisurely, you know, sure they would preach and everything, yeah. you know, do their door to door work. But, and then there's like afterwards, it's like, oh man, it was so much fun. It was just, it felt like, it felt more relaxed in a way, right? I don't know if you experienced yeah. that. I just felt like more laid back, more relaxed. Definitely. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. And I can say about that brochure, I, I think I ticked like four those uh, five of the boxes it is terrible (laughs) you were right about that so it's a good thing you dodged a lot of those bullets unlike myself (laughs) so interesting so all right so you're you're in ecuador uh you're an unofficial need grader uh, learning to surf and so um what happens then what's where's the transition come in from um you know kind of uh, i think i'll go preach there although it didn't sound like you were like you know, hundred percent bought in per se, but you know, like you say, you're a little bit of a free thinker, mm-hmm. but you know, what, what happened there? What, what was the shift? The lifestyle, like you said, is great. Mm-hmm. It was basically like, I've, and I've done this since, which is live abroad in another country. It, it, there's a, some special I mean, kind of freedom. First of all, it's like a poor country or a, a less costly country. I guess to say that the country is rich in a lot of other ways, but it's super inexpensive to live there. Like my house is 50 bucks a month living mm-hmm. on the beach with some like fun young people. It was amazing. Um, it was like, anyway, it was, it was low cost. So I, what I, what I got to one thing I experienced there that I didn't experience in the North in North America in the witnesses in what, and I was in like a English group, a French group and a Spanish group before I went down there. Okay. So I was like exploring different language mm-hmm. stuff. Wasn't good at any of it at the time, but <laughs> Uh, what I, what I found was there was like a double standard or a different standard there where like an 18 year old from England could pop into some small congregation and be given every possible privilege imagine mm-hmm. and be put on like a pedestal to be praised. And like, he's our example to follow the mm-hmm. 18 year old who has never had a job, who doesn't have any like family responsibilities is instantly better than everyone local mm-hmm. who has been serving this congregation for three or six or 10 years, even, um, and they have like given up their parents, given up their children to be in this religion, fought and like they have all these responsibilities and these costs and they have to work full time, but they're not, they don't get the privilege of like being the public speaker, mm-hmm. the 18 or 20 year old who came from, from, you know, Calgary or something does, um, Alberta. 
anyway, so that that was sort of stuck out to me as like a weird thing. And then the evangelicals are sort of like the the other religion who's proselytizing down there, at least there, but Latin America all over. Mm -hmm. I think that's a big, big trend. And so they have a huge movement and they also go door to door preaching. Yep. Kind of like the Mormons <laughs> do and witnesses do. And but they don't drink and they don't they also don't smoke. Mm -hmm. But like the non-drinking is like that's a hang up for witnesses because witness like their mm -hmm. only the only vice you get as a witness. <laughs> yeah. It's like we're having parties and people are drinking, even in moderation. It mm -hmm. did happen. And um we would get like this thing from pioneers or whatever, or knee graders, or they'd say, Don't drink, don't don't show the local young kids who are publishers who are like, we were just roped into this religion and have our Bible studies. Don't show them that you drink because they're gonna they might go off to the evangelicals. Mm -hmm. We don't want to lose them. So you have to pretend that we also are not drinkers. Or if you do buy alcohol, you have to buy it in the a couple towns away where they think yes. you're a backpacker. Yeah. And then bring yeah. your alcohol in secretly and then don't drink in front of the locals, only drink yeah. with other foreigners. And I was like, what is what is this weird double like strange standard? Like we should they should they should like witnesses more because we're more balanced. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And yeah. and also we are you know, maybe we're both as good at the Bible, but at least we have like a balanced lifestyle. Yeah. Anyway, right. that, those kind two of, things Yeah, it's a lot about public image there. Like yeah. what is the impression we're giving the the other people? So if they don't drink, we want to look like we don't drink. Right. And I remember I was in a territory, for example, where there was a lot of Russian Pentecostal women who didn't cut their hair short or wear makeup. And, I, you know, so when the witness women would go out in the ministry there, they would wear long hair and not wear makeup. Right. It's like trying to appear yeah. like, oh, like, right. almost like we're like you. We don't want to stumble you because this is your take on the Bible. <laughs> but yeah. it's really it is what you're saying. It's like it creates this double standard where it's more about image than what. Right the actual beliefs are like if this is what we think the bible actually teaches we should just do it <laughs> regardless of what their opinion is right but yeah that's interesting so so those two things okay so you're kind of yeah. you're the first you're, one's the, the bigger one and yeah. i kind of came to realize it's sort of like a cultural imperialism mm -hmm. like or colonialism mm -hmm. like we're coming in with our western and northern and like richer country culture like we're automatically amazing because we're high school graduates mm -hmm. Yeah. And we have access to like $1,000 on a credit card mm -hmm. and that makes us superior. So you should listen to us, which is, I mean, that's not what they were saying, but that's like how it functioned in a strange yeah. way. Um, and then none of these people worked and I feel like they would give the locals a hard time for having to work and not be able to dedicate their free time like they did 100% yeah. to preaching or something. Anyway, that just kind of stuck in my head like this is there's something wrong with this religion in the way they operate abroad and their mm -hmm. biggest growth areas are abroad and they're really just being manipulative um, to all these people that are already have a hard life and they mm -hmm. like the last thing they need is to be like exploited and mm -hmm. then manipulated and um, when i came back from that uh, the short version of the story is i just sort of like started distancing myself from the religion a little bit and then and then I had I was in a Spanish congregation in Colorado. I moved to Colorado, mm -hmm. and then I just there was some talk that happened, and uh, that was that was going on. And and I just it was something about the LGBT or like it was just very homophobic. Mm -hmm. And I had just never agreed with that aspect of the religion that they just hate this group of people. Like yeah. essentially, they're like a hate group against mm -hmm. this other group of people. And there's plenty of homosexual or uh, LGBT in the congregations. Mm -hmm. Who are keeping it quiet because they yes. have to or they'll get kicked out and lose their families and they're just like how do you imagine sitting there being one of them feeling like an outsider amongst your community mm -hmm. 
and that if you say the wrong word, like you'll get outed by someone and then you're kicked out. So I just like, that just like, I got triggered by this talk and I left mm. and I never went back. Okay. And then I brought, then I, then I like made sure I got my girlfriend to come out and then her sister and my other good friend, <laughs> okay. they were already sort of, the sister was already a halfway out and a good friend yeah. was like kind of halfway out. And I was like, listen, these are all yeah. the things. Let's talk about this for real. Yeah. We'll and undercover then, apostasy there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Bring some along, you know? Okay. Oh, wow. All right. And so were you disfellowshipped? Diso- did you dissociate or did uh, it seems just, like you just kind of were just kind of distanced yourself, like you said, and went inactive? I just, yeah, I just I just walked away and like okay. never. I pretty soon after that, me and my girlfriend took a trip. We were like, okay, we're we're deconverting, mm-hmm. so we're having a spiritual journey. Let's take a physical journey. We like sold a bunch of stuff and traveled for six months in Central okay. America. Um, and then we ended up moving back to the States and then like lived together for a while before breaking up. But uh, that was that's 10 years, that's 13 years ago. Okay. It's a while ago, but very cool. Um, so, yeah. um, all right. And, and kind of circling back to the fact you went to college, mm. um, for, uh, film photography, uh, were you working at all in that field as a Jehovah's witness? I did, um, right out of college or like during college, we had like an internship with a local photography studio, uh, Jake armor photography in Minneapolis, really cool studio. And then I, after college, they hired me. Mm. Um, but I pretty quickly is from then I moved, I went to Ecuador right after okay. school. So I did have like all my camera gear. I didn't have a lot of great stuff, but I had mm-hmm. the skills and knowledge and I had like a decent, a good camera, but, mm. uh, I was working in weddings. That was like the one thing I was okay. doing. And I took did a bunch of like band portraits for some local mm-hmm. bands and stuff just as like a free fun thing. I mean, I got paid for one or two of them, but, okay. um, and then later I did more weddings with witnesses. Like there was a, there was like a year before I, when I came back from Ecuador and before I left the religion. So I was doing some of that, but I kind of, it's kind of a missed opportunity actually. Cause I was, I could have stayed in Minneapolis or like pursued that career. But instead I was like, I'm going to be a need grader and see what that adventure is like. <laughs> yeah. I kind of like gave it up the photography thing mm-hmm. immediately after getting a degree. Um, but now I'm, you know, I kind of got back to it after gotcha. a while. All right. All right. The skills have been useful now. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And, and was that something that was just always kind of a a desire you had uh, or a goal? Uh, I mean, obviously you went to school for it, but I'm just thinking as, as a witness, um, you know, there, there are witnesses, a very limited number that do go to schooling. And I think sometimes it's perceived if it's uh, kind of more of a trade, like, you know, I know photography is not like plumbing (laughs) per se, but it's also not, you know, they probably think, well, you're not studying philosophy or, you know, they're, they're thinking like, I mean, I think a lot of their current, their concerns are around critical thinking skills mm-hmm. and maybe, maybe photography could kind of slide under the radar along with uh, other skills, you know? Yeah. I didn't um, get too much flack for it at the time. Mm-hmm. I was surprised by that, but I did also go to a technical college for okay. it. Okay. Yeah. But I was sort of, yeah, so that kind of that was sort of like the Jehovah's Witness perspective. Like, I can't go to a real university for right. for photography. I have to go to like a cheap one. That's mm-hmm. like, yeah. I mean, partially I needed to because it was lower cost. Yeah, and there was like a I went through like some local program, but yeah, um, yeah. Obviously, nothing wrong with a, a technical school that if that's what people want to do. But it's, it is yeah. it's kind of a 
if you're a Jehovah's Witness, it's a loophole, you know, it's, it's right. almost like it, I'll go to a tech school. And then I, I remember I was signed up for a tech school. It fell through. And I was like, well, I'll go to university. And my parents were like, oh, no, no, no. Like, not, not the U word. You know, I can't use the, you can't say university, you know. It's right. Yeah. Tech school. Exactly the same thing. One just yeah. seems like you're getting, you're going for a long time or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The other one's yeah. like, it's a short duration. Okay. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. But what my thinking on the subject was because there was like a fine art school mm -hmm. in Minneapolis and there's a couple other like nice schools for for photography or film. But the idea that like how a, a, how optics and sensors and mm -hmm. film work and how, you know, scanners like it's all pretty it's all technical, actually. Mm -hmm. And it takes a while to you have to learn the technical before you really get the art. Mm -hmm. And um, I think it was actually a pretty good path. I'm yeah. happy with it. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, and I think that, um, you know, I'm not saying this is the case with you, but I think that um, in the witness mindset, typically, not always, I, I've definitely known some very creative Jehovah's Witnesses, um, but I think typically it's the idea is, is how can I make a, just basically is how can I make a living as opposed to how can I make art? Right, yeah. And I think that that, you know, that's what it comes back to a lot is basically, is this something I can do part-time or that won't interfere with meetings or my, my yeah. life as a Jehovah's witness, as opposed to the actual like true creative expression. Mm -hmm. um, and so, all right, uh, back to your story though. I'm, I'm going off on the tangent here. The, <laughs> the, um, so when did, I know you said you kind of, you came back to it after a little while, you kind of did the neat greater thing. You did some traveling, you were deconverting. Yeah. So when did you decide, Hey, I want to actually start making some films. Um, it, it was quite a long process. So I went mm -hmm. actually, so the recession happened and then it was really hard to get a job doing anything. Mm -hmm. And I have other skills besides photography, but that one's always been like a lifelong passion. Um, and I, I went back to school during the recession for engineering. I got excited to do so. I like tech stuff. I get mm -hmm. excited about like building and inventing stuff. So I do electrical engineering design. So I went to school for that uh, circuit design, essentially. It's like mm -hmm. a graphic design job, but it you have to do, you have to use multiple layers. Let's say there's like eight or 10 layers of a circuit board. There's lots of like Tetris. You have to play mm -hmm. puzzle, play, play basically it's like puzzle. It's like an extreme form of Tetris. Um, and it's technical. There's power sections, there's data sections, there's, digital to analog conversion, analog to digital mm -hmm. conversion. There's a lot of technical aspects to it, but I really enjoyed that. And I thought it was a cool career I could do remotely. Um, and that all became true. But I went, so I went to school for some of those classes, like engineering classes. And then as soon as school got out, it's perfect to my character. I was like, I should leave the country <laughs> and like put this career on the shelf because I wasn't like getting much traction in the field mm -hmm. at the beginning. And then so I had this and also Occupy happened and I got really involved in the politics of basically like the Black Lives Matter, mm -hmm. um, but removing the racial elements of, of Black Lives Matter. Like the, the we want the world to get better and we're going to like protest. Mm -hmm. I got really involved in the Occupy movement in the town I was living in. And um, right on the heels of that, I was like, you know what, I just, I'm just going to, I just need to travel. I need to get, I need to get out of the country again. And I had an opportunity to go to Ecuador or sorry, uh, Vietnam, to teach English for a while. So I did that mm -hmm. just sort of like a, a mental break after college. And then, um, but I went there with the purpose of like, on the side, I'm going to, I'm going to buy a camera. And so I got a, an okay camera and I started shooting and filming music videos. Mm -hmm. as like a, a lifelong, I've been a musician. I've been in a few bands. I, I was in my third band at that point. I 
like quit as part of that to go abroad. And um, so I started getting embedded in like the film and music community in, in Vietnam and shooting and collaborating and doing some fun stuff. And eventually I started working with this director from France that I met there. And he's a good friend of mine now to this day. And we worked on a ton of like documentaries, worked on a little bit of narrative stuff, a bunch of music stuff. And um, I got this, all the skills from working with him and a couple other people to start my own project. And I felt mm. like I could handle all of it, audio, visual, editing, um, producing, directing. I mean, obviously you can't make it all yourself. It's really, mm. really hard. So <laughs> collaborating is always better. Right. But I, I could take on some big thing and like bring in people to help with different pieces. Mm -hmm. And this this idea of like telling the coming out story was just stuck in my head and I didn't know how to tell it. And I, every media, all the media that I ever saw, I didn't like really because I thought it was harping on the wrong issues mm -hmm. or focusing on victimhood and uh, how, how we suffer. And then it's like, oh, okay, you talked about that guy's sad story and then he cried on camera and then that's the end. Mm -hmm. like that's that's not how i feel i feel yeah. so excited and alive now that mm -hmm. i'm out of this weird cult i i i took the day i left i went traveling the mm -hmm. you know like my like some of the best people i've ever met in my mm -hmm. life are actually of his witnesses like they're so interesting like they've traveling abroad living abroad i've i was living i, I dated an ex-witness that we didn't know for months mm -hmm. <laughs> and then i live with an ex-witness in vietnam i had we had no idea that we both had yeah. that background until like we were like she had broken her, like hurt her leg on a motorcycle mm -hmm. accident. And she, we were like stuck together for a long period of time. And then that ended up becoming a, a deeper conversation. And like, Whoa, wow. How, how do we, and we've been partying together for months <laughs> <laughs> that never came up. Okay. Wow. That's awesome. Um, so there's a lot of like untethered people mm -hmm. that have gone and done really, really cool things. And I was like, man, maybe that's the angle is mm -hmm. like show the life after in this really positive kind of exciting and exciting way. Yeah. 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 Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, I think that that's such a key point. Um, I know for myself when I think about like being an ex-witness and I tell, you know, I've told people and maybe I even said that I was interviewed on Lloyd Evans channel at one point, in one of his ex-elder videos. And I said at the end, I was like, I'm so insanely happy, like at the prospect of life ahead. Yeah. And, you know, I had ex-witnesses that were like, what? <laughs> like, you can't be insanely happy or you don't look insanely happier. And, mm -hmm. you know, it was like, it was like, it was kind of emotional to do the interview for me, but I, I was, and I am insanely happy because it, it, yeah, of course, we can talk about pain all day and, and the shunning and all of that, but kind of the, the horizon, you know, when you look out at it and it's like, wow, I can really try to make of this what I want right as opposed to someone else telling me what it is you know like you said we have those five boxes you get to tick right is it going to be this or that and and this is your life path these are your goals this is what you're mm -hmm. going to do and it's like I can I can travel and I'm not traveling with the objective of proselytizing <laughs> or converting people as I mean it just really like opens up doors I can collaborate with this yeah. person like you're saying um right. I can work on this project you know whatever kind of music you wanted to make or anything you know it's like it's yeah. just the, the the everything opens up to you so uh, that's very cool so yeah. um you're yeah so you say okay i can take on this this project by myself uh, not by myself but like I'm, I'm ready to at least like kind of take the lead let's say yeah. <laughs> to use a, right. a witness expression <laughs> yeah, <took the laughs> you're not a leader but you were taking the lead <laughs> um <laughs> on this project uh and 
yeah, I'm just kind of curious, like how, if, if the project started as something and evolved in your head, or if you kind of had the, the, the vision from, from the start, just kind of, you know, interested in the creative process. Yeah. So you got to see the film, right? Yes. Yep. Okay. So that's, that's quite a different thing than what I started out making. And, um, we did a crowdfund campaign after mm-hmm. I made quite a, quite a few, I guess I made like a five short episodes or something of what I kind of thought I wanted to make for out of into a film. And that's called XJW coming out. Mm-hmm. And originally is a much longer title XJW coming out of the Jehovah's witness religion, which is just takes up the whole screen. <laughs> yeah. XJW coming out. And, uh, that, uh, how it all started was I was, I have family in Munich, my brother from Wisconsin, he mm-hmm. and his wife, ex-wife immigrated to Germany and have are raising a kid there. <clears throat> and they're still, he's still a witness. But I was going to visit like he he and I like I'm shunned by my whole family, but he's open to me visiting because of his kid and I'm the uncle. So we have like a tense relationship, like we'll talk like once every year or something. And it's always Mm -hmm. like something really it's not personal at all. It's Mm -hmm. like, when are you coming? Okay, (laughs) great. I'll see you then. It's we hang out and have a beer or something when we're there. Mm -hmm. It's usually like good times and and fun, but it's like only in person Mm -hmm. anyway. I was visiting him and his uh, ex-wife when they were still together. Um, no, it's just after they divorced. That's right. Like a year after the divorce. And uh, was, the funny thing is I always stay with my brother's ex-wife when I go to visit Germany because of our <laughs> tense relationship. It's right, like right. the weirdest thing. But <laughs> only, in, only with ex-witnesses. Yes, yeah. Um, and she had met another childhood friend from near Chicago where she grew up who is also an ex-witness who also immigrated to Munich and had been living there for 10, 15 years or something. And he's, he happened to be gay. And so we, the three of us hung out at some event, some music event, and then he got to talking to us. He's disassociated. And, um, I was chatting with him and just like catching up and getting to know like, Oh, cool. I mean, another ex-witness, like it's not mm-hmm. that common. And we have so many things we could talk, we could talk for days probably. And he's like, yeah, let's talk for days. And I was like, how about I turn on my camera? And I brought like a really mm-hmm. simple setup with microphone and, we could shoot the first, my first idea and just see how it goes. Cause I didn't know how it would go. Mm-hmm. And we tried a bunch of different things. And in the end I made a little trailer. I shot with him and I shot with uh, this woman I met in Vietnam who was not, didn't grow up witness, but joined the witnesses in high school. Cause she met some foreign, you know, expat witnesses mm-hmm. or whatever, who are missionaries or whatever, and became friends with this young girl. And then she left. And it was like the complications. So we talked about her complications with her family. Mm-hmm. They didn't want her to join the religion. And they were thrilled when she came back, came out. And it was like, she had a like, crazy journey. And then this other friend of mine who I grew, I met in Minneapolis and we lived together and traveled together in Europe a little bit. And then he lives in Portland. So I flew out there when I was back visiting, when I was living in Vietnam, it was like quite a lot, but it was over like a year. I filmed with these three people and I put this thing together. It's like a little tight six minute little teaser mm-hmm. of what I thought we could make into a film. We use that for the crowdfund campaign. Um, it just so happens that they all are, are LGBT people and that, but we don't even talk about it at all, except for the say, like, I can't, the guy says, I came out twice. I left mm. gay and I left the Jehovah's Witnesses. I came out gay and came out of the Jehovah's Witnesses. So we came out twice. And that was like, that's, that's, that's the name of this film now. Um, <laughs> but um, coming out stories is that. And, it's, and it started out with LGBT people, but I kind of focus more on like creative artists who have mm. left the religion because they have something to share. And it's like interesting to follow their journey and they have um, something to express. They're very open mm-hmm. to expressing and then I get to use their music, which is like royalty free. And it's like more interesting <laughs> for everyone. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I did that. And then 
when I was trying, when I did the crowdfund, I was planning to go to like different countries, like show the more global aspect. And I had already started that with America, Germany, Vietnam, and I had planned to go to Mexico, which I finally did. Uh, I just released those episodes on the Patreon. Um, but then, you know, there's so many more countries to go to, like you could do this project for the rest of your life and maybe I will. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's still an ongoing thing. So if you, so that's, that's the thing I didn't say before is if you want to support either film and this project, it's, you can join our Patreon, it's XJWDOC for documentary. Okay. So six letters, XJW doc. Um, but that turn, once I got the cash from the crowdfund to make that, the, the most coherent story I could think of, because there's really nothing tying these people together. It's like they don't, if I went to all these different countries, like definitely that no one knows each other. Mm-hmm. And I was struggling to find a way to like have cohesion or something or some storyline that would flow through from beginning to end. But I knew all these artists in Minneapolis from having lived there and been in a band myself and then having gone to all these shows when I was there with, with witnesses. And I'd still kept in touch with a lot of these artists. And... I was like, how about I'm going to I'm going to shoot something for this, you know, post crowdfund thing to make a documentary. And how about I shoot with you guys? And they're like, well, if you're going to shoot our story, you need to know this person. And Mm -hmm. I didn't know this person. And I reached out to them. And then Ryan, the main subject of the film, sent me this like 12 page Google Doc. He's like, here's my story. I was like, "Um, interview immediately. We need to do this. This (laughs) this could be the key kink, like Lynch thing that brings it all together. And it ended up being that. And then, um, yeah, so I feel like you know, you make a project, it could be, it could be something different. You could mm-hmm. do it different. I would do a lot of things differently making it again. Um, or if I make a second one, it'll be a very different kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I've learned a lot through the process, but uh, people love the film. And um, I'm so glad I chose those five people because they're all from the same community. They all grew up mm-hmm. together. They all play music together, made art together, made music videos together and made short films together. And they gave me all that archival footage and yeah. they gave up all that audio to work with to like help emotionally tell the story arc and like show their journey and highlight mm-hmm. them as artists before and after. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I was really fascinated by the film and just the, the angle you took ultimately, um, you know, you and I have talked a little bit and it's not to, to, you know, discount other versions of, of people's stories, but I thought the, kind of that creativity angle and just the fact that you know they all were kind of connected musically right and then they um left <laughs> the religion and uh, it's just I, I thought it was a really great uh great take on kind of the extra witness experience and the fact that they all continue to pursue music afterwards yeah. as well um so I definitely they even had would, more to say they probably had a lot more yeah. to say after leaving actually. a lot more to say right yeah i mean if you think of i think art is actually a um a great way to to deal with the experience you know to to process it uh right yeah. whether it's it's through film or music or mm-hmm. drawing or writing whatever it is just feels like a a, a very healthy outlet for mm-hmm. for everything you're carrying aside and you know i in, in the film uh you, you know i think it, it didn't like it's not that the film shied away from the effect of shunning you know um it's definitely in there and I think mm-hmm. it's good for that to be talked about, but it's not like the the main driver, you know, it's not the main thing there. It's like, all right, well, this yeah. situation came up and and I think is it, it was handled very tastefully in a way that um, I think if you, people who are never Jehovah's Witness who watch the film will realize like the pain that that, mm-hmm. that practice causes. But also if, if let's say Jehovah's Witness did watch the film, 
it's not like it's it's taking a shot at them you know it's just like yeah. this is just it is, it is very like human is the, the expression of the emotion you know and i I, mm-hmm. I thought that was highlighted very well thank um, you yeah. and it, yeah so um yeah it's, it's interesting to think about i i you know i think of just a takeaway for maybe you know people watching or listening is uh maybe you know and, and I don't know if you want to talk to this at all but if you had kind of a creative passion or idea or goal that you kind of put on the side maybe to become a neat grader in ecuador yeah. or you know in my case you you know to go to bethel or whatever you know the 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 goal the watchtower gave you yeah um you know maybe try to try to explore that again you know i know right. in in the film these are people that were already playing music as witnesses and continued to play music and i'm sure they've developed their their art as they've left you know but mm-hmm. i think a lot of people within the organization kind of put it to the side sometimes you know and yeah. there was just, definitely encouragement to like put your hobbies on the shelf put it in right. the closet yeah and don't ever take it back out it was yeah. kind of like the encouragement yeah yeah mm-hmm. exactly so i i think that's um a nice kind of inspiring piece uh with the angle you took again with the, the documentary is just hey like you know is there some creativity lurking within you that you'd like to explore or or maybe you know you yeah you already played music but you never really fully threw yourself into it well maybe now's the time you left the witnesses those restrictions are gone yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah i mean I, I, I feel like it can save your life a lot of yeah. people are music has a way of letting you release some tension and and maybe feel something or even express something even if you don't have lyrics it can it can mm-hmm. be a powerful powerful thing i yeah. when i was in a, when i was in my first early bands i used to play like two hours a day mm-hmm. which is a lot of dedication and time most people don't do most people don't have two hours a day to do anything <laughs> um, but i always felt so good when i did it yeah um and i don't know why i thought i you know i don't know i had like some ambition to like be mm-hmm. in some, a touring band or something mm-hmm. and it i i prefer the visual arts more mm-hmm. but i got a strong background in music and it was well, just really fun to play with friends. Mm-hmm. Like I had a bunch of high school friends and we'd play. I eventually met a bunch of witnesses in the next congregation, a couple of congregations over. It's like an hour away that in mm-hmm. Wausau that, that played music. And I was like, oh, okay. So there's some interesting witnesses. I didn't know that. Like let's, then we started playing a little bit of music, but mm-hmm. they all had their own bands. And I threw, I actually threw a concert once in a barn. <laughs> we turned oh, yeah. this, we turned this barn into a skate park, um, for my <laughs> high school buddies and I. Mm-hmm. And it had a hayloft and we had like cleaned the whole thing out and we like made it like a, when we were skateboarding in the summer, we like made it like put some old couches and like table, there's some old <laughs> shitty stuff mm-hmm. and uh, lamps and stuff. And then we were like, how cool would it be to throw a concert in this hayloft? Mm-hmm. So I roped a, like a friend, local, my hometown friends are like high school buddies of mine there. And then for this Wausau band of all witnesses to play there. So I was like bridging the gap of my two worlds kind of. <laughs> and, uh, but the problem, we called it livestock. <laughs> it was it had probably like 30 or 40 people showed up but it was like middle of january and we're like mm-hmm. we even put on the flyer we put it all over t- both towns we're like and it, it said warmth <laughs> it was warmth. it was negative 20 that day it was yeah. so brutally cold we had to get like a one of those kerosene like mm-hmm. garage heaters like yeah. it's like it's like a torch coming out the end um and people were just like 
oh my god <laughs> and the, the guitars are all out of tune it's right. so cool and the kid their fingers are going numb yes yeah everything was contracting yeah oh it was a bit of a mistake to throw yeah. it in, in january yeah. it would have been great for like uh, april or may or something yeah i i think that um you know art whether it's music or visual arts or a podcast whatever it is whatever kind of creative pursuit you want to throw yourself into it's it's really all in my opinion like a, a version of storytelling like you're mm -hmm. you're you're trying to tell a story in a creative way or in a way that helps you and a lot of times helps you process things so again i just like yeah. <laughs> can't talk highly enough about it but yeah uh, let's create a mood even like, yeah um, like express the the emotion you have mm. through the music vibe or something and that's yeah quite cathartic yeah yeah exactly and uh so i'd like to maybe just uh talk about uh if you have any plans going forward you'd like to talk about uh, or things you're working on projects that you'd like to share feel free to throw it out there yeah so i mean the next three weeks are incredibly busy with portland film festival and sound and scene mm -hmm. and then i'm mean, really excited about december and january because i have no plans and that's the <laughs> best news ever yeah <laughs> you just see this whiteboard i have in front of me They're like it's full of like yeah. crazy multicolor. it's ridiculous i have so much stuff to do but <clears throat> it's also a good problem to have it's like mm -hmm. really exciting in terms of future stuff it's what I've, re what I've learned is like I was fighting and like trying to make this film and like push forward and get people to be rallied behind mm -hmm. it. And, and finally, you know, we finished it and it's this huge accomplishment, but it also took basically all of my free time for mm -hmm. years. Like so many things I gave up to just sit at my computer more. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's mostly sitting at a computer is what making a film is. Yeah. Um, so if you're interested in filmmaking, just remember <laughs> it's more of what you do at work, probably mm -hmm. sitting at a laptop or something. But I have ambitions to make a couple other films and I rock climb. So that's one thing I want to do is like highlight. Um, I have a specific friend named Kate. Uh, she's a female rock climber who I met in Vietnam. And now she lives, well, now she's in Europe, but she was living in this area of California. And so we, we go rock climbing together, but she like lives out of her car. And uh, it's rock climbers call those people and call themselves dirt bags. Dirt bags, right. Like, yeah, uh, yeah. you might have heard of the famous rock climber. Um, Alex Honnold. Uh, Alex Honnold. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah. You got it faster than I did. <laughs> uh, Alex Honnold lives out of his van and he's famous and um, he's not the only one. There's many, mm -hmm. many people do this. But I thought it'd be cool to like highlight the female like experience living on the road and like meeting random strangers in the in the like a canyon somewhere mm, and becoming yeah. friends with them for a week and living in the desert, uh, which is what she does. She's been doing for like a year. And then another one I had. Um, let's see. Um, I'm interested in this concept I've come across a few in the last few years, uh, financial independence movement, mm -hmm. the FI movement or FIRE, financial independence, retire early. And I think it's actually valuable for witnesses because like my parents have no concept of like saving money for the future. Mm. They are retired. So they had that kind of old school, old world, like pension or whatever. Um, so they didn't really think about it. They never encouraged us to save any money for yeah. anything. Yeah. probably thought the end was going to come and he wouldn't <laughs> yes, need it right i was just about to say i was with my parents too no retirement and they they always said we thought the end would be here by now <laughs> right yeah which then they just then you just suffer and it's like yeah it's you're not planning for your future is not a mistake because you're mm -hmm. you have you're in control of that money you're paying yourself mm -hmm. first and then you're paying for other stuff second and other people second so putting money into a retirement account doesn't lock it away you have access to it if you need it there's there's all there's there's fees and fines for accessing mm -hmm. it, but you still have access to most of the principal. Um, 
So it's just a, a really smart, financially sound way of saving for for any time now or the future. And um, what I what I learned from this is a lot of people they jump into this thinking like, oh, I'm going to do this. I'll, I'll get benefit from this in you know 20, 30 years mm-hmm. from now in my 50s or 60s or 70s or something. The reality is you can if you play your if you play things right and you position yourself strategically, you can retire in five, 10, 15 years, depending mm-hmm. on what your given situation is and your costs of living. And uh, what I've learned is that people who are doing this in droves, like so many people are retiring in their 30s and 40s, and then they're living abroad in these towns all around the world that mm-hmm. are and they run their podcast or they run their small business on the side or a part-time thing, or they just take a break for a while, but it's like live in these cool places around the world. So I kind of want to make a, a little doc or a doc series about these different locations in the world. Mm-hmm. And the ones that are top of mind, just to give you an idea, are people have been doing this for like 40, 50 years. They've been doing this. It's not a new idea. Yeah. An old idea, but it's Cuenca, Ecuador. I'd heard of it when I was living down there as an integrator. Mm-hmm. Like all these foreigners live there. What are they doing yeah. there? Yeah. They, I don't know. Who knows, but I, I don't know. I haven't been. Yeah. Um, and then Chiang Mai, Thailand is a famous, a common one right now for like young people. And then um, San Miguel de Allende in Mexico. It's like two mm. hours outside of Mexico City. And I love Mexico. So, and I speak Spanish. So it'd be really cool to just, if I don't, I, I don't know if I want to live there and if, I, if I'm going to be able to accomplish this soon, but just like take a break for a year and like go to these, go to these places once, one per month and like mm-hmm. make a little short film with whoever I meet there. Would be like a fun thing to put out um yeah. i think we'll, we'll benefit from that just to get excited about the idea like retirement doesn't mean you stop doing stuff it means you're free to do everything you've ever wanted to do right right kind of like there's the kind of the i was almost say like a cultural societal idea of retirement that mm-hmm. when i hit uh like you said i hit my 60s and i start thinking about you know uh, in my case, hanging up the squeegees as <laughs> yeah. actual window cleaner, but but there's like there's a different path, right? Like it doesn't you yeah. don't have to spend another 40, 50 years, you know, um, grinding in an office yeah. or cleaning windows, whatever it is. Right. Interesting. Um, do you have uh, a? I know the uh, XJW coming out. There's a website for that. There do is. you have another website just for your work in general? That's not. I do. Yeah. So- related. Yeah, actually, you bring up a good thing. I just changed. Well, I still have the xjwdoc.com website, okay. but I've also copied it and made it a more robust website that's called witnessunderground.com. Okay. And it has all the XW coming out stuff in a little link. So it's a multi-page site. So witnessunderground.com is the main site for all of this related content we've been talking about. But then I have another one called bananaislandfilms.com. Bananaislandfilms.com. All right. And that's more like a, you can see a lot of my other past work. Like there's some rock climbing stuff on there adventure film stuff and like some promo stuff for other businesses. And I've made a bunch of um, just little side projects that probably have gone nowhere and might never go anywhere, but they're just fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's right. all on there. It's more of like a promo, like, like a, almost like a, instead of having a real lot of filmmakers make a reel every single year of like, this is my the coolest stuff I made for a year in the last year. And they put that out every year as like a mm-hmm. hire me because this is how awesome I am. And I just haven't done that. I'm just like, here's everything I've made. You can watch the full thing and I'm not making anything for you. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Very good. I haven't had the time. but Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, again, I just want to encourage everyone. uh, You know, we mentioned the details at the beginning. So if you're in the Midwest, you want to check out that event. It sounds amazing. Again, in Minneapolis, check that out November 12th. Uh, Also, check out the film. You said you can uh, stream that virtually from the Portland Film Festival. Right, exactly. Portland, I think it's portlandfilm.com 
or okay. for sure PDXFF. So Portland's okay. PDX and then Film Festival FF. PDXFF.com. Awesome. Watch a movie and you can scroll down to Witness Underground. Yeah, yeah. And again, I would, uh, you know, having watched it, I would highly recommend it. It's a really uh, interesting film. And it's, it's, if you think, oh, I've already seen some extra levels, but it's documentaries. So it's, you know, and they kind of bang, <laughs> all bang on the same drum, not to knock anybody. But uh, I think this one was different. So I would definitely encourage somebody, hey, if, if you know, if you have some interest in uh, X Jehovah's Witness uh, material, or you're never Jehovah's Witness, you're kind of curious about, you know, taking an interesting angle on it, definitely check out the film. Scott, thanks for coming on. I appreciate your time. Yeah, thanks, Bo. This has been great. Right. I appreciate yeah. it. Take care. There's a leak in the boiler room. The poor, the lame, the blind. Ones that we kept in charge, killers, thieves, and lawyers. God's over.